Mexico's. I especially want to thank the uh, Johnson family who uh, have sponsored this evening in honor of an appreciation of Rabbi Lewis's doctorate. The Brown family who are sponsoring the Nishman Sloan Brown Black Sloan Shabbat. The Kimmel family and the Schwartz family who are uh, sponsoring the memory of Rafael Ben Mayor Domeho and also an appreciation of a very, very cherished culture uh, that we share together. I, uh, I always get nervous when I introduce Rabbi Lewis because I know so much about all the different theories that he's espoused there through the years about what people say and what they do now. I always quote Rabbi Lewis, Rabbi Lewis, and pay you as well. The Navi Malachi tells us that uh, there are periods in time in One of the things our great Rebbe has pointed out to us is that when the Navi says, I'll give you places to walk between things that are owning. So our Rebbe has always pointed out to us that one of the great levels of human being over a Malach is that Malachim are owned in. They stand, they don't move. You create it, and that's it, and, there's, and, and that's it, whatever Malach is, that's what it is. A human being has that Malach because a human being gets to move. The human gets to move up, gets to move onward and upwards. Rabbi Leibowitz has always added, and when he talks, he says that's why he loves to learn halacha. He loves to teach and learn halacha. It's one of the most exciting things in the world because there's always movement. It's always something. It's what we do in life. It's a, it's so much of what we are. What I love when I get to learn halacha with and from Rabbi Leibowitz is the fact that you're always moving with him. It's like literally, it's life. You, you get the chance, and you. For those of you who've come around to the shiurim in the past, you know for a fact that those of you get to listen to his dashiurim and his shiurim and his drushas, which by the way is another project we should undertake, right? Uh, it, 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 it's, it's a moving environment. When you are with Rabbi Leibowitz, you know you are on a trip, you are going to move, and you're going to love every step of the way. Uh, it's really just a, a, it's such a pleasure to be around somebody who can direct us so much in life and yet at the same time make us think that he's, we're, we're all just on tour with him in the process. And so it's my, with the greatest respect and pleasure, it's my honor and privilege to call upon Larry Lewis who will give our shoes. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rav Schwartz. It's, uh, it's wonderful to be together with you. It's an honor to be with you, and um, I certainly cherish our friendship, uh, our decades-long friendship, and you've been such a mentor for me in so many ways and an extreme help, certainly in recent years, with your expertise and your wisdom and your guidance. And Kavosh Baruch Hu should continue to grant you the Hatzlacha to lead this Kehillah and many of other uh, Rabbanim and uh, holy people that you lead in, uh, in the proper path uh, for many years to come in good health. And we should uh, work together to do good things for Kali Yisrael, Bezrat Hashem. Um, it's so good to see so many, uh, so many old friends here. Uh, so the title of this year tonight was something along the lines of Sukkis stories and Shilohs, something like that. So we're not doing that. Um, <laughs> It's not sukkahs yet. I, I didn't get any sukkahs. I, I, I could talk about trees hanging over a sukkah, but I don't think we want to talk about that. That's, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's a great topic, but, you know, not, not for right now. So I'll just share with you three shilas that came up over the course of the last week or so, uh, two weeks, I would say. All three of these came in the last two weeks, so I didn't have a chance to give a share about any of them yet. And uh, maybe we'll take a vote. You'll tell me which one uh, you want to talk about, which one of them interests you. If we have time for more than one, maybe we'll do two. We'll see. What's, what's our... What? Sorry? So, um, 
Okay, so let's let's go through one by one. Um, okay, I got this Shiloh twice on Yom Kippur, uh, or after Yom Kippur, rather. Uh, it hasn't been that long since Yom Kippur. Twice, two people uh, with slight variations, but here's how it goes. A fellow was uh, getting ready for Yom Kippur, and he's talking to his brother-in-law right before Yom Kippur. And the, uh, in one of the situations, it was a brother-in-law. In another situation, it was, uh, it was, it was a close friend or relative. Um, so, uh, and they, they, were, uh, they were schmoozing. And, uh, you know, they went through the classic, uh, would you please be mochel me for anything I may or may not have done, this and that. And the brother-in-law says to him, and would you please be mochel me for all of the terrible things I said about you behind your back this year. Meaning he, was, uh, he didn't get specific as to exactly what he said, but he let it slip that I have actually said some terrible things about you behind your back, and would you please be mochel me. And it's literally the last hour before Yom Kippur. So he says, yeah, of course, yeah, of course I'm mochel you. And then for the next 25 hours, all he kept on thinking in his head was, I can't believe my brother-in-law was speaking badly about me uh, behind my back. And like he came to the realization that no matter how much of an avoda it was over those 25 hours to try to believe what he had told him an hour before Yom Kippur, he did not believe what he had told him an hour before Yom Kippur. He was not mochalim at all. And uh, so his question was, do I need to let my brother-in-law know that I'm not really mochalim so that we can have this conversation again at a later date? Or can he just go on his merry way thinking that I'm mochalim and it's not my responsibility to tell him that uh, Belibi, you know, deep in my heart, I'm in fact not mochalim at all. So that Shaila came up twice. That's not the normal Mechila Shaila. The normal Mechila Shaila I get, and I'm sure you get this also, is someone feeling very guilty in the days leading up to Yom Kippur, saying, someone did something terrible to me, they've yet to ask for Mechila, and I can't bring myself to be Mechil them. If they can't even ask, and they don't even know that, I can't bring myself, I'm trying my... That's the normal Mechila Shaila. We're not going to discuss that one. So this is one about insincere Mechila. Mechila was granted, but it was not sincere, or the person realizes after some time it was not sincere. Second Shaila, a Talmud of mine from who's learning in the Gris Kolol in Eretz Yisrael has this wonderful thing where he um, where he has a chavrusa with his younger brother on the phone. His younger brother is a high school student, a ninth grader in DRS. Uh, some of you have heard of it, and uh, and and uh, he was he learns Mishnayos with his younger brother. So they were learning a Mishnah, and he was trying to explain to his brother the concept of Hegdish. So he said, you know, you could take anything and turn it into Hagdish. You can say, uh, you know, he noticed that his brother, they were on a Zoom call, and his brother had his Xbox controller in front of him. So he said, you know, like you could uh, make your Xbox controller Hagdish, and then it would belong to the base of Hagdish, just by declaring that it's and that it's Hegdish. Now, it wouldn't have Kachim as They wouldn't be able to bring it as a carbon because there's no carbon called Xbox controller. There's an Ola and a Chatos, but there's no Xbox controller carbon. So it would just be Lebedek Abayas. It would be something that belongs to the base of Migdash. So his younger brother said, oh yeah, that's so cool. And he picks up his Xbox controller and he says, my Xbox controller is Hegdish. And he's like, what did you just do? <laughs> he's like, he said, what you told me you can make it Hegdish. He said, yeah, but why would you do that? Meaning, if you make it Hagdish, then like, we don't have a bit... Like, how, why would you do that? And he said... It, probably, it doesn't work anyway, right? We don't have a base amygdala, so you know, no harm, no foul. So like, nothing can happen anyway. So he said, "No, like that. That might be worse." So the the older brother wanted to know, like, is the younger brother's Xbox controller now no longer usable because it is headdish, and we have to wait till the base amygdala comes, and you know, and ba- the base amygdala will have to figure out what to do with an, with an Xbox controller. So that is Shaila number two. Shaila number three. A Rebbe from a uh, yeshiva high school. 
um, uh, Modern Orthodox Shiva High School uh, texted me on Tzom Gedalia that the following episode happened in his classroom on Tzom Gedalia. So uh, there is a student, student A, we will call him Adam. Right? Adam bought food for student B. We'll pick a name that starts with B. We'll call him Brian. Right? So Adam went out and bought, uh, bought food for Brian uh, using his Uber Eats app. Apparently, Brian doesn't have the Uber Eats app or his parents don't give him a credit card to, to connect to the Uber Eats app. So Adam's got the Uber Eats app and he orders on some Gedalia uh, food for Brian from Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, when the food arrives, Adam went out to collect the food from the driver and uh, to get Brian out of class so he can give him the food. So uh, the Rebbe sees Brian sneaking out of Gemara class and he's like, hey, where's Brian going? And he sees that he went to meet Adam in the hallway. And he gives Adam $10 and he sees that Adam's about to give Brian a Dunkin' Donuts bag and they're going to have like a little kiddish with Dunkin' Donuts in the hallway on Som Gedalia. So the Rebbe, irate, comes out of the classroom, grabs the, uh, the, the, the Dunkin' Donuts bag from Adam who had, uh, who had brought it into the building and throws it in the garbage. So Brian, without missing a beat, sees Adam is still holding the $10 bill that he had paid Brian for the, uh, for the food. So, so Brian, without missing a beat, grabs his $10 back from Adam. And Adam said, what did you do that for? He said, well, you didn't give me my food. He said, well, the Rebbe took threw the food out. He's like, yeah, I, I didn't get it. I'm not paying you $10 for food I didn't get. He said, but I'm out $10 on my Uber Eats app. It's my parents' credit card. Like, uh, you know, you, he's like, I'm sorry. I don't have, I don't know you the money. So the Rebbe's like, wow, this is a great Shiloh. I mean, it's a very unfortunate Shiloh because there were two kids that were going to eat on some Gedalia for no apparent reason. But, uh, but the Shiloh is, who, who owes the money? And the truth is, the Rebbe didn't think of this, but there are three possibilities of who's out the $10. It's not just Adam or Brian, right? The other possibility is not the Rebbe. The Rebbe owes ten dollars. Who told him to throw out somebody else's food? Doesn't belong to him, right? Maybe that's just an overt act of Geneva in front of two pasula Adam that, uh, <laughs> that, that, that that he did, and, uh, and you know, and, uh, and and he owes the money. You know, uh, he he admits that he did it, and he admits that he was pretty upset uh, at that at the moment. So that is Shiloh number three. These okay? We'll do, stick with one of these uh, one of these three shilas. Okay, so let's uh, let's take a vote. So what, again, what were the shilas? Number one was the insincere mechila. Number two was the holy Xbox um, and oh, Xbox controller. I don't want to overstate the case. Uh, and number and number three is some gedalia garbage pail lunch. Right. So uh, so okay. Uh, everyone have in their mind which one they're interested in talking about. Just think about that for a second, so you can vote in a second. Okay, so we're going to vote by a show of hands. Um, all those who would like to talk about insincere mechila. Who's counting? Okay, all those who want to talk about the holy Xbox. Seems like fewer. All those who want to talk about some Gedali garbage pail lunch. Well, it's either one or three. You think it's three? Yeah, I think it's, okay, so uh, the some Gedali garbage pail lunch. That's what it is. Okay. Um, so the first thing I think that you need to talk about over here, truth is, once we get past point number one, it becomes a very complicated question. But I think the first thing that we need to talk about over here is, uh, does a Rebbe have a right to do such a thing? 
meaning uh, you know it's, it's, it doesn't only happen with uh, with Dunkin' Donuts on some Gedalia, right? When I was a kid, this would happen if you had you know if I went to like a pretty yeshivish summer camp. So if you had an Archie uh, uh, and whatever Veronica and Jughead, you know, like uh, so like they they would uh, they would uh, it was similarly contraband, and they would uh, they would tear it up and throw it. So they allowed to do that. I remember one kid saying, "You're a gun if you stole from me." I think in uh, someone who works in Camp Dora Golding told me that uh, Rabbi Finkelman, does that make sense? Any Dora Golding people? That Rabbi Finkelman would pay the kids. He'd buy it. Whatever contraband it was. He didn't want them to feel like, oh, the Rebbe's stealing something from me. So he would pay them. He, he would buy it and then throw it out. They would see that he threw it out, but at least he was throwing out his thing and the kid wasn't out money. It's a great business idea, by the way. If you want to <laughs> go buy it wholesale and keep selling like cigarettes from a Pickleman, who's going to throw them out? But uh, it's, it's, it's actually a uh, similar question to, uh, to a question that Rabbanim get a lot, which is when uh, you have, do you have an issue of Hashavah Saveda on things that are contraband? Right, uh, things that are pro- that are prohibited for one reason or another. Um, a good friend of mine from uh, Eretz Yisrael told me uh, recently. He's a big Talmud Chacham. He told me that he he put on his jacket one day and he put his hands in the pocket and he noticed that there were two cigarettes in the pocket of his of his jacket. And there's only one thing: he he never smoked in his life, and he doesn't know how cigarettes ended up in the pocket of his jacket. Then he uh, he was thinking it wasn't any of his kids. It wasn't, and he was he was thinking that the previous day he had a meeting in Yerushalayim, and when he went to the meeting, he had put his jacket on the hook of the door, and he noticed that there was another jacket there at the same time. So he checked: Did I take? Is this actually my jacket? And it was, in fact, his jacket. But apparently, the other guy in the middle of the meeting must have thrown a couple of cigarettes into what he thought was his own jacket. It was really my friend's jacket. And now he's got two cigarettes that he knows who they belong to. It was the other guy that was at the meeting. Uh, so does he have a mitzvah, a shavas on the two cigarettes that he found in his jacket pocket. Now, if he does have a mitzvah of Aveda, not only a Shavas Aveda, there's a mitzvah of Shmiras HaAveda. A person has to protect an Aveda, and I didn't know this, but uh, my friend somehow knew this, that if you leave cigarettes out for too long, they get stale and are bad. And you need to like wrap them in something in order to, uh, to protect. So does he have a Shavas Aveda? Does he have to protect them? So a similar question about, uh, about contraband. But let's, let's keep it to teachers. So if a teacher finds something that a student is not supposed to have, whether it be food on some gedalia, whether it be a pack of cigarettes, whether it be kids don't smoke cigarettes anymore, they vape instead, you know, but whether they, uh, it, which is a big problem for rabbis, by the way, because um, I don't know if you've had this experience, you go to a wedding hall that's not like one of the from halls, and they don't prepare ashes for the head of the chassan. So it used to be, when we started out in Rabbanus, it was easy. You go to the kitchen, you find any random worker, and you say, you have a cigarette? And he says, sure. And he, you burn it, and you get some ashes, and then you put that on the chassan's, on the chassan's head. Now, they're all vaping. Like, what, what are you supposed to do? You, where do you get ashes from? So it's, uh, the only ashes are like the greasy ashes from the cooking of the food, and that, like, you don't want to put that on the chassan's head. That's uh, unpleasant. So, um, so, so the shaila is: Do you is is a teacher allowed to confiscate things? So there was actually a, a big back and forth in the journal Tchumin in volume eight of Tchumin, a back and forth among uh, contemporary rabbanim whether a teacher is allowed to confiscate things. Um, the uh, the Rambam in Hilchus Geneva and the Shulchan Aruch and Chashmishpur and Shimon Ches 
tell us how serious the Isra of stealing is, that even if you steal the tiniest amount, it is Asr, and it's even Asr to steal Amun Aslamekat, you're stealing to get it to, as a joke, or, as a, or to give it back, or for good reasons, you're stealing because uh, you know that if you steal, you'll be able to pay kefel, and you're stealing from a poor person who won't accept tzedakah from you, so if I steal, and then the basin makes me pay double, so that will be my way, of my end around, to be able to give him tzedakah, because he won't take tzedakah from me. Not allowed to do that either. You're not allowed to steal for any which reason, even if you're stealing for a joke, even if you're stealing in a non-serious way. Stealing is bad, right? You heard it here first. You're not, you're not allowed to steal. Stealing is really bad. So Rabbi Yehuda Henkin, in his Tshuvas uh, B'nai Banim, and it was originally published in a Tchumen article, tries to make the case that no Rebbe or teacher has any right to confiscate property of the students. Even if the students are not allowed to have uh, the, uh, the property, he has no right to do so. On the other hand, uh, Rabbi Asher Bush from Frisch, uh, who's a phenomenal Talmud Chacham, has a couple of volumes of uh, Chuvas, uh, so in his Chuvas, Shoel B'Shlomo, Simen Nun Zayin, as well as a number of other uh, Rabbanim that wrote in Tchumen, all disagreed with Rabbi Henkin about, uh, about this, uh, this issue. So where's the raya? Like, prove it one way or the other, that, uh, that a teacher's allowed to take something. I mean, apparently, you know, this wasn't a common thing. There's no Gemara about this, there's no Rishon that there directly addresses the issue, because apparently teachers weren't taking stuff away from kids till very recently. Uh, why not? No one had anything. No, what, what kid would have anything? Jews were all poor and they didn't have anything. So there was nothing to take away. So, uh, so this, this is like a very, uh, it's, it's a very happy Shaila in the sense that kids actually have things, often things that are quite expensive. And, uh, you know, you're not, the, the school has a rule. You're not allowed to have an iPhone. And the teacher realizes that the kid has the newest iPhone. So is he allowed to take that away from the, from, from, from the kid? So uh, they have to figure out different sources, different, uh, different rayas. So I'll mention uh, briefly three potential, uh, potential rayas. One raya that they bring is a Mishnah in the first parak of Masechah's Midos. So you got a little bikis, right? Mishnah Masechah's Midos. Um, it's one of those Masechahs that you know, many people don't even know exists, right? Uh, Masechah's, uh, Masechah's Midos. I often tell the story of the, the DRS 11th grader um, who used to learn together with, uh, with his older brother, who was in YU at the time, every Shabbos afternoon. And what they chose to learn together was Masechah's Tamura. And uh, they, they finished Masechah's Tamura together. And at the Seum, the 11th grader, who's a very, very bright student, said um, that he took a poll of, uh, of, of 20 DRS 10th graders to ask them if there's a Masechta called Masechah's Tamura. And he said, half of them said that there's no such Masechta. And the other half said, there is, but you're pronouncing it wrong, it's Truma. Um, so, uh, so there is in fact a Masech, there's no Truma, there's Trumos and there's a Masechus Tamura as well and there's also Masechus Midos what's Masechus Midos about? so Midos is the measurements of the uh, Beis HaMikdash and how things uh, looked in the uh, Beis HaMikdash so uh, it's interesting you have to um, it's, it's complicated to, to think about the Midos of everything Bayis Rishon was slightly different than Bayis Sheni Bayis Shlishi is different than by Yisheni and by Yisrishon. So like to figure out what a Beis HaMikdash is, so like what do you look at when you're trying to figure out what the Beis HaMikdash is and even where exactly the, uh, the Beis HaMikdash is uh, located and the different size of the different parts of the Beis HaMikdash. But anyway, Imasech Smidos talks about, the Mishnah Perikal Mishnah Beis talks about none of those things. It talks about a man who is called the, uh, the, the, who is the guard that led to the, uh, to the Harabayis 
Um, and the Ish Harabais would be the overseer of all the guards. He had to make sure that the guards were doing their job and that they weren't, you know, that they were, they were, they were staying awake and they were alert. And, uh, and any guard who was asleep, uh, the Ish Harabais would say, Shalom Alecha. If he saw that he was dozing a little bit, he would say, Shalom Alecha. If the person, you know, uh, was clear that he was sleeping, either by, he didn't respond or he would say, well, you know, like he would just like, uh, be, uh, shaken out of his sleep with that, uh, Shalom Alecha, then the Ish Harabayis would take his walking stick and he'd give the guy a little zet, and uh, he was also allowed to burn his clothing. Um, that he had a little uh, little torch and he would burn the corner of his clothing. Imagine waking up that way. You know, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's uh, quite an alarm clock. Um, and, uh, and Rabbi Lozabin Yaakov in the Mishnah says that one time his uncle, his mother's brother, was sleeping on the job and they talk of burnt his clothing. So w- what right does the Ish Harabayis have to go burn somebody's clothing? So the Gemara in Masechah's Tamid, also a real Masechta, on the Chavzayin and Beis, says that Hefker Beis and Hefker so he's allowed to do that. So maybe you see that when someone has the job of supervising other people and the other people aren't doing what they ought to be doing, they're not behaving in the way that they're supposed to be behaving, uh, maybe he has the right to take uh, advantage of their property and to damage their property as a way of um, motivating them or encouraging them uh, to do their job better. Um, the Teferis Yisrael in Masech Hasmido says that um, the... Uh, that, that, that it was dafka mida connected mida because how did the guy fall asleep on the job? You, you fall asleep when you're warm and cozy. So his clothing was keeping him warm. So okay, we'll take away the clothing that keeps you warm. You know, it's like well, it's the it, I guess the equivalent of yanking the blanket off the the the, uh, the camper that's sleeping too late. You know, so the council comes and yanks the blanket off of him. I remember when I was a kid in camp once when I was a teen in Camp Minnesota, uh, the counselor came and. He, uh, he, he started pulling the blanket from the kid to wake him up. And the kid was like, it must have been in the middle of a dream. He just, took, from, from a sleeping position, boom, death to the, the counselor, like square in the jaw. Um, the next day, the counselor came with a hockey helmet. <laughs> he said, would you please, sir, <laughs> please, please wake up. So uh, now the, uh, the camper is very hush of a rav, and he's doing, he's doing good things. But at that, at that point, I don't know what was going through his head. So, uh, so, so the, uh, the, the Tavaris Yisrael says that, that so to me, the connected me, that he deserves to have his clothing burnt because the clothing is what allowed him to sleep in the first place. So that's raya number one, that maybe you're allowed to do that. So Rabbi Hankin says, ah, it's not really a raya because uh, that was a special, obviously they made a special takana that he was authorized to do that. Whoever made a special takana, the teachers are authorized to do that. I don't know that every teacher and rabbi is authorized to do that. A second raya, anyone think of a second raya that where we do grant certain permission to teachers in halacha that normally we wouldn't allow a civilian to do? Hitting. Hitting. Oh, okay, so the Gemara Makos says, not that we do that we do not not that we do this we do not do this anymore and this is not uh, permissible anymore according to any postic as far as I know but strictly speaking Medina de Gemara Medina de Shulchanaruch a teacher is a, and a parent are allowed to hit a child in order to discipline them it comes up in Masechus Makos in the context of a teacher who maybe got so out of hand that he hit the kid so hard Rachman that he killed the kid. 
right? And uh, does he go to Gullus or does he not go to Gullus for killing Bishogeg because he was Osik Bidvar Mitzvah? So apparently hitting a child is something that's within a Rebbe's rights, within a teacher's rights. So the Gemara says that uh, it's a mitzvah. It's a mitzvah. And then the Gemara says, and it's a mitzvah even to hit the kid that's behaving, the good kid, to, uh, to further discipline him, to get him uh, more. I remember when, when I was in uh, Karen there was a Rebbe, Rav Dimonman, uh, who was uh, not my Rebbe, but he was a very, very lively person. Meaning if he was giving, I remember he gave Shir Klali once in a while. There were a bunch of shtenders on the stage where the Rashiva sat and the Mashkiach sat. By the end of the Shir, none of them were on the stage anymore. I don't know what he did. He would just like pick things up and throw them. And it was just like, get out of the way. He was like, uh, he, he was, he was, we run back and forth from one end of the stage to the other. So I remember one of our chaverim, who was a few years older, he told me that he was sitting in Shir once, looking in the Gemara, and, and uh, Rav Dimon came over to him and just whacked him across the face. Like, he would get fired like this today, right? And, 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 and he looked up and he said, Rav, I was looking inside. He said, now you were, but what about all the other times that you weren't? <laughs> okay. So, uh, so apparently this used to be a thing. That, uh, that, 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 and, and apparently, Rebbe is allowed to do that. Now, if a Rebbe is allowed to hit a child now, we wouldn't uh, allow that anymore. Why not? A, because it's illegal, but also because we only do things in Chinuch that are effective. If something is not an effective form of chinuch, then it's uh, it's it's you know it's it's no longer permissible. Uh, Rav Meir Tversky pointed out that uh, a lot of the issues of religious coercion that you would find in earlier generations are no longer effective and they're therefore no longer advisable nor permissible because they become more of a turnoff than to accomplish the goal that you want them to uh, to accomplish. So uh, so we wouldn't. But if a teacher believes that by making an example of taking away someone's uh, cigarettes or someone's, you know, depending on the yeshiva, someone's iPhone or some of the, whatever, that he's going to make an example and the other kids will, uh, will learn from that example and the child himself is going to learn from that example and he's not physically harming the child and he's not doing anything that's against the law. So is he allowed to do that? Is he allowed to go and confiscate property? So maybe a kalvachomer, that if Medina the Gemara you're allowed to hit the kid, so of course you should be allowed to, uh, to damage his, his, uh, his property. Um, so that is Raya number two. There, there is a uh, Ramban that's quoted by the Ritzvah Meseches Ksubas that they all quote that uh, that makes a kalvachomer that if uh, the halacha allows someone to you know to, to harm somebody else in certain circumstances, then for sure by taking taking his property, kalvachomer taking his property, that's considered like a lower level. So then for sure that would be allowed. So that is Raya number two that a teacher is allowed to do this. So again, Raya number one was the Ishar is burning the clothing. Raya number two is the fact that a teacher is allowed, technically Medina the Gemara allowed to strike a child. Raya number three they have is from a halacha in Shulchan Aruch in Choshemish Batsumin Reish Lamed Aleph based on Gmar Basra Dav Chasam Beis tells us a, a, a basic rule which is that if you have a, a group of people let's say in a trade union or something of that nature where they get together and they, uh, and they make uh, rules for membership of that union um, that, uh, that, that, you know, let's say they, they agree that when it's this person's day to sell his stuff in the market, none of us are going to go into the market that day and sell our stuff in the market that day. Uh, anyone who fails to abide by those rules will suffer whatever sanctions they impose among the members of that group. And they're allowed to make such rules as long as everyone buys in. Um, and, but assuming everyone buys in, that would be okay. Now, there are many schools nowadays that uh, will make a student and parents 
sign a handbook in advance. When I was teaching at the IRS, that was standard, that every student... Now, the, did the students read the handbook? Of course not. I mean, there would be like one or two in every class. Those, those are the ones that are going to be lawyers when they grow up. You know, like, but the students typically didn't uh, read the handbook. Sometimes students knew it too well. You know, according to uh, 3A, uh, I technically am not in violation. But the, most of the students did not, uh, did not read the handbook, but they signed it. You know, they signed it anyway. And if you're putting your name on something, it means you're committing to it. And if you choose not to read it, then, uh, and you have reason to believe that it's all, whatever's written in there is reasonable, so then that's a commitment and a, a very trusting commitment to whatever it says in there. I happen to think that, uh, you know, I get a lot of questions, I'm sure you do also, about people um, you know, using uh, illegally down downloaded things, or someone else's Amazon account, or someone else's Netflix, you know, all these, uh, these kinds of, uh, of things. So uh, leaving aside, you know, you shouldn't be on Netflix anyway, or whatever, leaving all, all, all of that aside, you know, is it, uh, is, it, is it mutter to do that? So I always say, well, in the license agreement, when you click, I agree, you know, are you, are you agreeing not to do what you just did? So they said, uh, whoever read that? Yeah, I know, but you signed it. You know, like, you, you, you agreed to it. So I think, I think you should be uh, bound by what you agreed to. I mean, you assume that the company is putting something reasonable out there, uh, and, uh, and you're agreeing to what are reasonable rules. So if everyone agrees, and people, the parents sign, and the students sign the handbook, and, and it says clearly in the handbook, you're not allowed to have these things, and the consequences of having these things is you may get it taken away from you, so then that should, that should make it mutter. Um, it's hard to argue that one. It's just that the handbooks don't always make it clear that you, you'll have it taken away from you. Sometimes they just say, you know, you'll suffer a suspension or whatever, a warning, then a suspension. Um, but uh, but if, that, if, that, if that's what it says, then that's what it says. Um, even Rev. Yehuda Herzl Hankin, Zechron uh, Levracha, says that it is... Uh, that if it's an, if it's something that's dangerous, then of course you're allowed to confiscate. I mean, if it's drugs, it's a, it's it's a gun, it's something that's that's mamish dangerous, then you're allowed to uh, to take the item. Now, taking the item is different than destroying the item. Most of the of the of the rabbanim who wrote in that Truman journal said, yeah, we're talking about confiscating the item, but not to not to throw it out, not let it destroy something that belongs to somebody else. The teacher has a din of a shomer, and shomer has responsibilities. So what often happens, and what they really discuss, so I don't want to get into the details of it right now, is that a teacher takes something, and what does he do with it as soon as he takes it? Where, where would the teacher typically put it? In the drawer. In the drawer. He opens the drawer, throws it in the drawer, and when, when class is over, what does he do? Forgets all about it and walks right out. And some other kid remembered, oh, 38 minutes ago at the beginning of this class, the teacher took uh, you know, so-and-so's uh, iPhone and someone else, a Ghana from the class, goes in and takes it for himself. Now, who's responsible for that? It's very likely that the teacher is responsible for that because he's at least a shomer on someone else's stuff. Okay, is he a shomer chinam or a shomer sachar? You know, what level of responsibility does he have? That's, uh, you know, that, that, that's, that, that's where, what they debate. You know, that, uh, there's, uh, there's what to debate. Do you say, well, the teacher is paid because he gets a salary, so he's paid to watch these things? Or you say, no, no, that's not what a teacher is paid to do. A teacher is paid to teach. All the other stuff he does for free. You know, the confiscating things he does for free. The watching uh, the, 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 uh, the, the contraband in his desk. That he does for free. He doesn't get paid to do those things. So that could be a machlokas, whether he's a shomer sachar or a shomer chinam. There's a further discussion uh, that we're not going to get into right now, whether you have the status of bailov imo. Uh, the halacha is that, uh, that, that a watchman or a borrower 
who employs the owner of the item that you're watching or you're borrowing doesn't have to pay. It's a p'tur called bailavimo. So do you have that p'tur when you're a teacher? Meaning, uh, because the student is there with you the whole time. So the student being in your care, is that the same as you hiring the student? That the student is sort of given over to you? Okay, that's a lambda shayla, and it's an interesting, uh, an interesting shayla. Um, it, it made, I'm not going to get into it, but it, it depends on interesting things. Now, let's assume for a moment, um, well, let's not assume. Uh, let's start with this. Was the teacher allowed? In this case, the Rebbe is the one that sent me the Shaila, and he, uh, and he was very proud of what he had, meaning he, he was pretty confident that he had done the right thing. Um, do we have to break the news to him that you actually did something wrong? So w- what does it sound like? No. Why not? But is he allowed to throw it out? Being a confiscate, yeah, but then you got to be a showman. What about the fact that he's preventing him from doing a very Ah, so la frusha me again, you're allowed to take it away to prevent them from doing an iser, and he probably has an obligation to prevent them from doing an iser. La frusha me So he's stopping them from doing an iser, but la he should just put it away until the fast is over. But where, where did I say it was? Where did, where, what was the item? It was Dunkin' Donuts. You ever try a Dunkin' Donuts 12 hours later? <laughs> It's, it's not going to, right? Meaning no one's going to want it. Not the hot coffee, which is not going to be hot anymore. And not the Dunkin' Donut 12 hours later. So the only way really that Fushi Miyasura is to ruin it one way or the other, no one's, the, the, the kid is totally, if, if you were to tell the kid, you can't have this until uh, 8 p.m. this evening, he would say, forget it. You know, okay, so I'm not going to have it. He's not going to be interested in having it. You can't sell it at 8 p.m. that, that, that evening. You're not going to be able to, there's no value to anybody. At, at 8 p.m. That, that, that evening. So maybe, maybe the Rebbe didn't do something that was, uh, that was us. Are we in agreement so far? I'm not sure on this. Yeah. That would be his decision. If the Rebbe said you can't have the plate, he, he could say, okay, we'll throw it out. That's the owner's decision. But it's not the Rebbe's. Okay, so it gets interesting, right? Let's say at 8 p.m., it's, you know, it, it, was, it was worth $10 at 10 a.m. when this happened. At 8 p.m. that night, when the fast is over, it's going to be worth $1.50, let's say. Right? Let's say it's worth about. So maybe, the, you know, the difference is not the Rebbe's responsibility because I had an obligation to take away that $8.50 of value from you. I only threw out the last $1.50 value. The Rebbe could also argue that in order to make a point, he felt like he had to throw it in the garbage, that, uh, you know, it had to be something... He had to take a stand and, uh, you know, make some, like, right. So it could be, that's he possible. Sell it to, somebody else. He to who? Uh, well, to, <laughs> uh, to the janitor or whatever. So it has value even, uh, even that day. Or it's enable for a kid who, uh, who's sick or whatever who's unable to, to fast. Yeah, okay, so maybe it does have value. Yeah. Ah, so th- there's a misconception that once a person breaks their fast, that, you know, oh, it's broken. It's like, uh, like, I mean, if you accidentally turn a light on on Shabbos, you, can, you can't just be like, might as well drive to the football game, you know? Like, <laughs> like, like you know, so, so it, it's not comparable, I know, I'm just making a joke. But, 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 uh, but, but there, so much so, Rosh Shachter told us, Moreno Agonim Shachter told us that, that, uh, that, that Rav Salvechik was asked once about a guy who was a Cholish Yishba who had to eat 
on Yom Kippur, because only Chodesh Yishpas Khan is allowed to eat. That's also an important thing to remember. A lot of times people are unaware of that. They assume, oh, Shiurim is just like if, you, you know, like you have a little headache, and then uh, if you can eat a full meal, that's you need to be Chodesh Yishpas Khan. No, you have to be Chodesh Yishpas Khan to eat anything on Yom Kippur. Now, we define Chodesh Yishpas Khan a little bit differently than most doctors would. We would define it as even a Svek Sveka Shel Sakana, and even if in 10 years from now you're going to die one day earlier, or might die one day earlier because of fasting, that's also Subic Sakana, um, but uh, the uh, but but you can't eat if it's just going to be a headache that you'll get past you know the next day. So anyway, so there's a Cholish Yishmaskana had to eat on Yom Kippur, and they asked for Salvage if he could if he could daven for an Amud because he was he was the Baltfila, so he wanted to daven for an Amud. So Salvage said absolutely not. So he said why? Because he's not fasting. So someone's not fasting. He's not allowed to daven for an Amud. He said no, nothing to do with that. It's because. He, he, every 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 ounce of energy you take out of him will require him to eat a little more or to drink a little more. So he's allowed to eat, but he's not allowed to just sit there pigging out all day. You know, so you want you try to minimize as much as you possibly can. Meaning, when we advise people to do shiurim, take an ounce and a half of Gatorade every eight minutes or whatever the directions, you know, whatever variation of how much and and uh, and how many minutes. I'm sure you have your mahalich, and every rav has their own mahalich of exactly how long and how many degradations of minutes there are if you need more and all those things. But when we advise people to do that, we typically say, do it for a couple of hours, and that should give you all the hydration you need for the day. Like, you wouldn't do that, like, all day long, meaning, uh, no, I think uh, Rav Neuberger pointed out that doctors say that uh, to be fully hydrated, a person needs a liter and a half of, uh, of liquid. So you get that in a couple of hours by doing, uh, by doing shirim. You don't need to be doing it all day, all day long, unless, you know, you're worried about your mea bracha, so you want to get it with asher yatsar. So, uh, you know, but, uh, but they, you know, that's not, that's not a good enough reason. Um, so, yeah, so, okay, so as far as whether the Rebbe's Chayev or not, it's at least a good debate, right? It's at least a good debate whether the Rebbe's Chayev, and there's a very strong possibility that he's not Chayev for all of it, at least. So now, what about the students? So now, now let's say, let's say there's an $8.50 dispute among, among the students now, not a $10 dispute. So which of the students is responsible for the money? And keep in mind, there's a wrinkle over here, and that is that although he had already paid the money, um, the, the students in the class had paid the money to the students who had made the order. He also took it back. He, was ready, he took the law into his own hands. He was a toe-face. So if the answer is going to be what it often is in Dina Mamanus, when we're not sure what to do, what do we normally say in Dina Mamanus when we're not sure what to do? Right? So you have to... So who's being motzi mehu? You know, when the Shaila came up, you know, when the, our moment of suffolk was, one guy had the money, but now that, that we're asking the Shaila, the other guy has the money because he took the law into his own hands already. So what exactly does this uh, depend on? So I thought what this most likely depends on is was Adam a... What was the relationship between Adam and Brian in this case? Adam who placed the Uber Eats order and Brian who had asked him to do so. Is it that Adam is a shaliach of Brian? Or is it that Adam bought something from Uber Eats and he is selling it to Brian? Right? Those are very, very different things. If I bought something and then I want to turn around and sell it to you and I never deliver the goods, so then I'm stuck, right? I didn't do, I didn't do my job. But if I am your shaliach, so when I bought it for you, when I bought it for you, I did my shalichus. And that means that when, when, when I was taking it from the Uber Eats guy, I'm you. Shluch Shalom Kamosa, that's the only coincidence. Shluch Shalom Kamosa, right? When I, when I take it from the Uber Eats guy, I am you. So I'm, you, you are requiring it right then. 
And now uh, I'm not going to be responsible for some ones, you know, some unforeseeable crazy Rebbe comes storming out of a classroom and decides to chuck it in the garbage. I was doing exactly what you told me to do. You told me to bring it right into the building and to knock on the classroom, you know, to signal in the window of the classroom to wave to you. So you'd sneak out and then you would get it. I did exactly as you told me to do. So I'm a perfectly good shaliyah. Ah, so in shliach l'dvaravir. So I was thinking about that also because of that yomi recently. So can you make a shliach to buy you food on a fast day? Why not? I mean, is there any dvaravira in buying food on a uh, on a fast day, right? And and I was also thinking there's a discussion in the poskim. We're running out of time already, but there's a discussion in the uh, in the poskim about ein shliach l'dvaravira. Why is it that ein shliach l'dvaravira la halacha? Why do we assume? Let me just explain what that means in case not everyone's doing dafyomi. I shouldn't always assume the whole world's doing dafyomi just because I am. So normally there's a there's a, a mechanism in halacha called shlichus that if I make you my shliach, I make you my messenger to do something. When you do it. You are me. You are acting on my behalf. If I decide that, you know, I'd love to show up to my own wedding, but uh, the Jets finally made the Super Bowl on the day that I'm getting married, and I've been waiting my whole life for, for you know, uh, I was born in uh, whatever, 19... I, I haven't done it anymore in 1977, but even if I was born uh, seven years before that, I never would have seen the Jets win the Super Bowl. You know, and I've been, I've been waiting my, my whole life for this. So, you know what? I'm not going to go to my wedding because, you know, like it's Super Bowl Sunday. We scheduled it for Super Bowl Sunday because the Jets never make it, and we knew that it was going to be fine. But then, as it turns out, you know, this is the year. So, uh, this is not the year, by the way. But, but, but as, it, as, as it turns out, you know, that happened to be, uh, to be the year. So, I decide I'm going to send the Shliach. I'm going to send my friend. The Giants fan, he's going to go and he's going to do the Kiddushan for me. So he says, uh, to my buddy, uh, in front of two witnesses, and, and, and the, the Jets fan is the one that actually gets married, even though he's not there. His shaliach becomes like him. And that's, that's a, a mechanism of agency that applies in the Torah. However, we also have a principle that ain't shaliach l'dvar that if I ask you to do something for me, but what I'm asking you to do is an avera, it's a prohibition. So then we can't say that it's as if the mishal is doing the, uh, the Avera. No, the Shaliach is doing the Avera. I ask you to go steal something, and you know that it's stealing. You know that it doesn't belong to you or me, and uh, you, you take it. You're the Ganav. I'm not the Ganav. So why? Why is it that we don't use the mechanism of, uh, of Shalichus? So the Gemara has this idea, Divrei Rav, Divrei Talmud, Divrei Mishomi, that, uh, what, you know, if Leibowitz tells you to steal something, and God tells you not to, why on earth would you listen to Leibowitz and not listen to God? So, uh, you know, that, that's, that's ridiculous. So there are two ways of understanding that. One way of understanding it is, you have a responsibility as a Jew to listen to the boss, right? And you're not allowed to listen to anybody else. The other way of understanding it is, that I, as the Mishaleach, when I told you to do something crazy like an Avera, I didn't think you were going to listen because God told you not to. Why would I assume that you would listen when I tell you to do an Avera? If God told you not, I never would have imagined that you would actually do it. So that's a machlokas aposkum on the page of Shulchan Aruch, how we paskin. What would the nafkamina be? The difference would be, what if I know he's going to do it? I know he's going to do it. How do I know? Because he's ordering Dung Donuts for himself also. He eats every fast day. You know, he uh, shows up uh, you know, during the break on Yom Kippur. No, Chas Shalom. But he eats, he, eats, he eats on every minor fast day. He does it all the time. So I know that he would do it. It's not a Shiloh that he would do it for me. 
So then, if you say like the first svara, that ain't shliach b'dvara veira, because he's not supposed to do it. Well, he's still not supposed to do it. And therefore, ain't shliach b'dvara veira. So he's not my shliach. But if you say ain't shliach b'dvara veira is, I never thought he was going to do it. Well, I did think he was going to do it. So then there would be shlichus over here. But I think either way, buying food is not really a dvara aveira. On, on a fast day. Eating food is a dvaravera. But buying food is not, is not a dvaravera. There's also an interesting discussion whether ancient dvaravera applies to Isurim Drabanan. So, okay, there's a, it, it can be a very Lebedic uh, sugya. Halach um, Lamaisa, what is he? Is he a shaliach? Or is he, or is he buying it himself and then selling it? You think buying himself and selling it? Why? Yeah, but some, you could be a shliach even if you're laying out the money. No Meaning halachically. Is he getting any extra money? Uh, you could be an unpaid shliach also. Meaning shlichus doesn't necessarily mean that you're being paid. Okay, okay. Meaning it's an indication that he's not running a business, yeah. right? Ah, okay, so that might make a difference. I mean, that Shiloh comes up all the time also, which we don't have time to talk about, is when someone sends you to do something and because you put together a big enough order, you get extras. So, like, what are you? Meaning, is it, is it that you're buying it and selling it to everyone else? In which case, fine, you can give the extras. Or are you everybody shliach? In which case, they're entitled to the extras. You're not the one that's entitled to the extra. So that happened, I had a famous uh, DRS uh, sushi Shiloh many years ago uh, where... Uh, where two ki- there was a place, Stop, Chop, and Roll, where you buy two rolls and you get one free. So one kid kept on going to two of his friends, and each of them ordered a roll through him, <laughs> and he kept on taking the third roll for free for, for himself without telling them what he was doing. Uh, and then they caught on in, like, November. Like, it was three months into the school year, and they, they, they hopped what he was doing. So, uh, yeah, so that's the part of that. Or, like, you have someone arranging a Cholomoe trip. And they go on the WhatsApp chats, local WhatsApp chats. Uh, $30, I, don't know, I have no idea what the tickets cost. So $50 a ticket to go to Great Adventure, you know, but we get a $30 group rate if you, uh, whatever. And when you get the group rate, you not only get a cheaper ticket, but you also, they also throw in a few extra tickets. So who gets those few extra tickets, right? So that may also depend on this issue. I thought the Pashtas is that he is a Shaliach. And if he is a Shaliach, he did his Shalichos. And I would think that the fellow that uh, that that uh, had had wanted to eat the food uh, is is loses the money. I think Tfisa does not help in uh, in such a case, and he has to give back the uh, the the money unless it's the teacher that's responsible, which I'm not convinced that it's not. I, this is like the brand new Shilohs. I, I uh, haven't had a chance to ask the Gedolei Aposkin, but it was nice to at least schmooze over some of the issues together with you. I wish everyone a Chag Sameach. Thank you so much for having me again. It was great. Thank you. Thank you.